think uh, Dan Aykroyd's a big fan of this movie? Do I think Dan Aykroyd is a big fan of Diamonds Are Forever? Yeah, you know his Crystal Skull Vodka? Oh. Hey, he decided that part of the manufacturing process should involve filtering the vodka through diamonds, even though there's no discernible reason to do it. I feel like that's kind of the same thing with Blofeld's fucking laser. <laughs> Why do they need diamonds in there? There's no reason. Aren't the diamonds making it uh, possible for them to like blow up shit from space? They say that, but they're just arranged in like a decorative pattern around the frills. <laughs> that they don't think they do shit. <laughs> Are you questioning the physics use of diamonds in a satellite? Yes, I am. Is that a real thing? It's not a real thing, is it? I don't know. I think diamonds have been used to intensify lasers, but I, the way that they set it up, you're right, is completely horseshit. Welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And today we are discussing the Sean Connery James Bond uh, return, I guess. He was gone for a movie. He came back. Widely considered one of the worst James Bond movies, Diamonds Are Forever. So we've watched three Bond movies so far. We've watched uh, Moonraker and Die Another Day. So we got a Moore and a Brosnan, and, and now we're doing a Connery. I like that we kind of have one going every season. I thought this one was a little more filthy than the others. Like some of Bond's uh, fucking puns were very sexual. Really? So that's funny because I felt that this one really lacked the kind of fun... Uh, oh, I didn't say they were fun. Oh, okay. They were just <laughs> the wordplay wasn't dirty. fun. Just yeah. I thought there was a little more like overt than yeah. what we're used to. They were like crass rather than like fun sexual. Content. Well, especially for the time, it was like what 1971, like yeah. very early for some of the language. They were pushing pushing the boundaries there. I this did so. feel more serious rather than fun. The other ones we'd watched seemed to me like they were laughing at themselves a little bit, and this didn't seem like that happened at all. Hold on. It's hilarious that you're saying this, because think of all the fucking campy shit we're about to encounter as we go through this. I think Bond is more serious than this, but everything happening around him is complete horseshit. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of stuff that is batshit here, but I feel like Connery was not having fun. Is that That's common? what I mean. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't think he was into it. Is that common with the Connery version of Bond or is that just him coming back and accepting a paycheck here? I think it's the latter. He's normally pretty serious but he'll still kind of crack a joke, a little like wink to the camera. Not a literal wink, that'd be a Roger Moore move but like you know, <laughs> he's kind of in on it. This one he just seems to kind of be there so yeah. we'll uh, we'll hear all about this yeah. once we get into the uh, nuts and bolts of it but first, as you know, every week we find a beer to pair with the movie and I have to say this one, pretty appropriate. Gotta be one of my favorite connections of the season so far. Uh, this one is a beer from the Muddy York Brewing Company, and it's called Diamond Geezer. <laughs> we didn't mention in the beginning, but Sean Connery, a little older, coming back for this one. Yeah, he's definitely looking a little long in the tooth here. Uh, he's definitely wearing some kind of toupee on his head. Oh, this is the, he was wearing one in every Bond movie. This is the time it's most egregious, though. Very noticeable. I had that thought, too. There's a lot less hair left to sort of, like, build it back in. <laughs> yeah. It just looks like a carpet on there. It's like he's wearing a brown hat. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Diamond Geezer, this is an English IPA, which is also very appropriate for Bond. So I'm looking forward to trying this. Muddy York, um, I have never been there. It sounds like a very cool brewery. It's out in the east end of Toronto. Uh, they have both a really cool indoor and outdoor space, and they make a ton of stuff from really traditional styles. I know just right now it's kind of fall. They have so many German-style beers kind oh, of meeting nice. on Oktoberfest. Yeah. They also make stuff like new IPAs. They make all kinds of sours. They even have a seltzer kind of division, so they make all kinds of stuff here. That's more and more common these days, the seltzer thing. Yeah, I love yeah. that they uh, they also say that these beers are for people who enjoy adventure and the finer things in life. So If that isn't James Bond, I, I don't know. know what is. Come on, man. That's a good connection. All right. So uh, let's... Let's crack this open and uh, see whether we enjoy it. English IPA, I don't know. I think it's going to be less hoppy than the traditional IPA we drink. Like, I think it's it's more of a multi-flavored beer. The IPA was originally a beer brewed in England and sent over to India. And the hops were just to keep it from spoiling on uh -huh. travel, right? So hops okay. help preserve it. So the hoppier beer styles were more actually created for preservation of the beer from going bad than they were for the flavor of the hops. See, you don't just come here for jokes, folks. This is uh, some real beer history right there. Well, I don't know, but someone's going to like message that I'm completely wrong, and that's fine, too. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. All right, let's get into it. I agree. Oh, yeah, look how dark this is. After the trademark James Bond intro, we open on a very tranquil room, but that tranquility is quickly shattered by a body being thrown through one of those like room dividers. You know, those uh, kind of Asian style. You see them in like Chinese restaurants. Oh, the fold-up screens. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Now, Bond, via an extremely obvious overdub, asks a simple question. Where is he? 
Now that he in that sentence is Ernst Stavro Blofeld. And what we quickly find out is that James Bond is not going to stop until he gets an answer. Bond is not messing around. He is all business. He has something that he's going after and he is not going to take no for an answer. Uh, very much like he will with Vagina later in the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of his move. I'm not sure if you're aware or not, but Ernst Stavro Blofeld has been like the main villain in all the Bond movies up to this point. So in the last one, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, which did not feature Connery, Bond gets married at the end and Blofeld like assassinates her after the wedding. What? Yeah, it's exactly like what happens in MacGruber, only far <laughs> less hilarious. <laughs> I did not know that. So I did not understand kind of the motivation for him going after uh, Blofeld quite as strongly as he does. Uh, I wish they had to run that back a little bit for me. Yeah, they're kind of counting on you having seen the previous ones, which I suspected was possibly not a thing. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. not true. But he's clear, like you said, not taking no for an answer. He goes through a few different people here, uh, basically just assaulting them and interrogating them. And this trail eventually leads to a plastic surgery clinic where Blofeld has arranged for one of his underlings to be made to look like him. Kind of a Saddam Hussein body double situation you know, meant to direct Bond's attention to this other guy so Blofeld can continue to operate in the shadows. And apparently a key part of this elaborate procedure involves laying in a tub full of mud because that's where this guy is when Bond gets the drop on him. Yeah, it's really quite a hilarious setup here. It does not seem like a doctor's office or a surgeon's office or where you would get a medical procedure at all. They're in a fucking cave. Yeah, they're in a cave. Uh, above the guy in the tub of mud is like a reverse volcano full of mud. And if you pull on a cord, it keeps spewing out more mud. Yeah, it's a giant funnel that lets the mud get poured into that tub. And then there's other like bubbling muck scenarios around here. It kind of reminded me of like some kind of Scandinavian spa more than it did some kind of surgeon's place. Well, you could never do this kind of surgery in America. They just wouldn't let you get away with it. Oh, you just can't clone? I don't think, I don't think so. <laughs> this comes up in later. We just because of a fucking uh, die another day. Same That's thing. True. Yeah. Yeah. Well, whoever this guy is in the mud pit, he sits up and produces a gun from under the mud, which is kind of funny. But Bond does an action hero roll and hits a release switch that drops more and more mud on the guy from that kind of spigot thing you mentioned until he eventually drowns or suffocates or whatever. Now, because he's a pro, Bond goes to confirm the kill, and it's a good thing he does, as when he sprays mud off the guy's face, he sees that it is definitely not Blofeld. Mm, the procedure hadn't quite taken yet, so he knows that this wasn't his intended target. But who shows up behind him as he's spraying this off? Well, it's the real Blofeld, of course. He emerges from the shadows with a couple of goons, explains his plan, as all Bond villains do, and then <laughs> tells one of his guys to disarm James Bond. But when this guy reaches into Bond's jacket to remove his Walther PPK, he encounters the most ingenious gadget ever crafted by Q Branch. It's a big mouse trap. <laughs> I <laughs> snaps the guy's fingers. Actually, I was mentioning earlier that this wasn't uh, very fun, but this kind yeah, of scene was pretty on. hilarious. Seeing that mouse trap come out and smoke the guy's hand, and then that starts Bond disarming him and taking everyone down. Oh, yeah, it's a hilarious distraction that allows him to immediately take care of everyone. After pulling one of those big surgical lamps down onto Blofeld, he drapes him on a gurney and slides him into that chemical mud pit you mentioned earlier. But unfortunately, in yet another sign that this probably isn't going to go down as one of Bond's best outings, the line he drops here is pretty weak. Welcome to hell, Blofeld. <laughs> There's uh, not a lot yeah. there. No, not it's, a lot there. it sounded rough. Um, but so he's he's done it. He's got revenge on the person who's murdered his wife. Movie over. Yeah, we're good. We're out, right? So it, this is all kind of touted as a vacation for Bond too, which I think is pretty funny. I guess he's asked for some time off to uh, deal with personal matters, which now I'm aware of. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, but we transition from this to him heading back to uh, to learn about what's happening at headquarters here. Well, first we got our opening credit sequence. Blofeld's Ooh. hissing cat and its diamond collar send us into that one. Now, the theme song here is sung for the third time by the legendary Shirley Bassey. It's called Diamonds Are Forever, duh. And much like the previous line... This is not a particularly strong entry in the franchise, although I did enjoy the silhouettes of ladies doing, like, crouching karate in front of a diamond. <laughs> it's funny you say that this one isn't standout, because this one felt really Bond to me. Like, visually, but the song. Yeah, the, the song, song wasn't blew. quite there, yeah. but the visual felt more like a Bond intro to me than some of the more recent ones that we've seen, right? The one from Die Another Day definitely didn't feel 
the same way as this one to yeah, me. I agree this, with that, yeah. this felt like what I thought a Bond opening should be. And so I knew we were like through the credits and right into the action again. Yeah, we see M briefing Bond on the different types of diamonds. Apparently, there's been a dramatic increase in diamond smuggling. And now that Blofeld is out of the way, MI6 wants Bond to, you know, do his actual job for a change. This, uh, <laughs> it is, it's true. He doesn't get to go do his sort of own choice. He has to go and follow what they want. It is interesting that they send Bond on a, like, diamond smuggling issue, though. Usually that's handled by someone maybe a little bit less senior. You know, I thought that, too. And actually, he brings it up as well. He's kind of like, you're sending me on this. But, you know, we're going to find out later. This is obviously much part of a much bigger plan. It's going to bring us all back around full circle. Now, this sequence here with M does two things. First... It shows us exactly how and how many diamonds are being smuggled out of the different mines. And second, it shows us how worldly and dickish Bond is. When he gets offered a glass of sherry, he says to M, Pity about your liver, sir. It's an unusually fine Solera. 51, I believe. There is no year for sherry, 007. I was referring to the original vintage on which the sherry is based, sir. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, this felt... Pretty silly, this sort of old school, like the old man sending Bond on his missions. I, I know this was probably more commonplace in the series itself. I don't think these scenes would be in there very much anymore. It is a lot of setup. Um, and at the time, I was like, why are they going all in on this fucking Sherry thing? But it actually does come into play later on. Like I said, he schools them there. And also getting schooled is us, the audience, as we meet Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid, who teaches about the deadly predatory skills of the South African scorpion, and then demonstrate those skills by dropping one on the back of the diamond smuggler we just saw in the previous sequence. This death was ridiculous. Because of the scorpion drop and the way that he reacted it falling God, down. His yeah. reaction was incredible. Yeah. The acting when he gets stung or the scorpion goes down his back is, yeah, pretty brutal. Just like uh, a full-on like horror movie, like, oh, screams, <laughs> like, tilts back, his mouth's all open. Yeah. Yeah. So that never would happen, right? He, he could get stung if a scorpion got dropped down into his clothing, but it would not be that kind of reaction. Instantaneous? Yeah. Like he got shot in the back by a sniper? No, I don't think so. No. Uh, these guys also blow up a helicopter after some hilarious bug puns and walk off into the sunset holding hands. So homophobia? Yeah, well, that's going to get confirmed the next time we see them because uh, they do meet a woman uh, coming up in the future. And the one does say, hey, she was nice looking for a woman. Yeah, and it gets a kind of a derisive look from the other guy. Yeah. Now, they also give these diamonds to an old school teacher and then immediately kill her. So why give them to her at all? I thought this old school teacher lady might have been like a big henchman connection. I was like, she's going to be a part of, maybe she's the big bad. They're reporting to her. And then 30 seconds later, she was dead and drowned in a river. And I was like, fuck, well, I was wrong on that one. Yeah, they could have just skipped her over entirely. I don't know why they did it, but whatever. Either way, Bond is on the case. But if he's going to infiltrate the criminal underworld, he'll need a new identity as a smuggler. So it's time to say hello to Franks. Peter Franks. And it's also time to say hello to Tiffany Case, Franks' sexy contact in the smuggling ring. I thought this was interesting. They do a little bit of um, talking about the reason why Bond needs to go after this. And they're showing all of these South African workers who are kind of smuggling them out of the mine and getting some money themselves from it. I thought it was kind of funny that the Brits were so angry that uh, the South Africans were mad about their diamonds uh, getting taken from them. Well, it's also funny how when we see them doing that in the sequence... This fucking diamond expert guy is talking about how because of the incredible employee benefits, they have amazing loyalty. None of the employees would ever steal as we see multiple employees just fucking stealing, right? Oh, man, colonialism. Yeah, yeah. Now, in addition to answering the door in her underwear, Tiffany Case also asks Bond whether he prefers blondes or brunettes and lest James Bond be accused of passing up a chance at a good euphemism. Oh, providing the collars and cuffs match. We'll talk about that later. Let me have your glass. Hey, now. <laughs> that's well, what I mean. That's yeah, very overt, right? That's true. Yeah, that is very overt. I was just sort of like, you're going to turn it down if they're a different color? That's uh, but Yeah, that doesn't sound like Bond either. He's no, right, yeah. no, I don't he believe that at all. He takes dress off and her like, pubic hair is different than her regular hair and he walks. No chance. Not even a moment of thought on that one. Yeah. I wonder if that was a Connery ad lib. You think he just fucking... Threw it in there? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, most of those moments felt incredibly weak for me this yeah. time. And I didn't know if it was writing or Connery. You're telling me he was better in some of the older ones? So maybe, yes. yeah, so maybe it's just he's mailing it in at this point. But still, it seems like kind of an aggressive like pun for the era, right? Like, I wonder if he didn't like her. I wonder if he didn't like the actress. He's just mentioning fucking vagina, though. Like James yeah. Bond in the set. Like, that seems very aggressive. 
I mean, we had Pussy Galore. and <laughs> We sure did. Right? Like, we have those kind of mentions, too. One thing we can agree on, it sounds like he likes them natural. So, uh, <laughs> Tiffany Case has the diamonds, and Peter Franks is going to help her smuggle them out. But there's one small problem. Turns out the real Peter Franks has escaped. Way to go, MI6. And the second Bond gets the news from Q, this dude is pulling up to the front of Case's apartment building. Bond decides to pose as a German tourist by using an accent that's not even a little bit offensive. Then follows Franks inside and onto the elevator. So you know what that means. Time for some extremely close quarters fighting. Oh my goodness. This is an old school elevator. One that kind of has the gate shut in front of you. Like in Murphy's Law. Have <laughs> watched Murphy's Law? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you got to turn that handle. Yeah, you got to do the crank and then it, it turns and it starts going up. What I noticed was, one, it's kind of open, but it has the gates around it. But it has a lot of glass, and this is going to all get smashed. Oh, yeah, definitely. For a minute there, I thought we were watching fucking Double Team again. All glass breaking. <laughs> That's exactly what it reminded me of, too. I knew we we're going to get a lot of shatters here. And they have a pretty good fight here. They're really beating the shit out of each other. Yeah, this, I actually will give them credit for. This is kind of ahead of its time, because we've seen all the action movies recently. Close quarters fighting is a huge fucking thing, right? Like the Born Identity movies. It's all about in close, like fast cuts, and that's what these guys are doing. So kind of like a little bit revolutionary for the time. When the dust settles, though, Case opens up this dude's wallet, and what does she find inside? James Bond's Playboy Club key card. I guess he uh, slipped it in there when she wasn't looking, but like he's definitely going to grab that back at some point, right? Oh, God, yeah. There's no way he's leaving that Got, card. Got to get back into the mansion, yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. I just I thought it was funny that he grabbed that too. Yeah, so Bond sets it up here that uh, Franks was actually him, and now he has defeated the legendary James Bond. So he's covered his own tracks here and made it possible for him to be the Franks character. Yeah, with the real Peter Franks out of the way, their plan is a go. Bond is going to smuggle the diamonds in by pretending to be returning his brother's body home for a funeral. He manages to pull this off and is met at the airport by three goons from Slumber Incorporated. That's the funeral home. But what he doesn't know is that Mr. Wint and Mr. Kidd were on the same plane watching, waiting, and making hilarious jokes about finding women attractive. Yeah. Like you were saying, that's where they, yeah. I was trying to interpret here, were they saying that they are like weird murderers because they're gay? I, I was like... It does oh, man, seem like they're know. almost leaning into that. So there's some strong homophobia here connected to them being like psychopaths or killers. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the Bond henchmen always have like a quirk, right? I think their quirk is just they both love c That's all. <laughs> That's, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think you could be right. I, I think it's kind of a, well, it's not kind of, it's a very lame quirk, right? They could have gone a lot better here than some of the other movies we've seen. I agree. Throwing hat is a lot more exciting than Way two guys who like banging exciting. sticks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. I mean, giant guys, small guys, like all of Metal those things teeth? are really cool. Yeah, way, way more exciting than Jaws? loving some guy's hot ass. <laughs> Jaws was amazing. I fucking love Jaws. I know. That guy falling in love with that random pigtailed woman. <laughs> that, and, that, yeah. that weird, like, fucking, uh, what do you call the beer wench? A beer wench, I guess. Yeah. 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 <laughs> she was wearing later. Yeah. She was. Yeah. yeah. Well, Bond safely makes it to the funeral home where he meets the appropriately smarmy Morton Slumber who cremates the body and packs up the diamonds. He also meets Mr. Wint and Mr. Kidd who knock him out, put him in a coffin, and send him on the conveyor belt on the way to cremation. Luckily, Bond was smart enough to not bring the real diamonds, so they pull him out of there and are like, hey man, what the hell, we had a deal. They tried to fucking kill him. Like, Yeah, they were going to melt the shit out of him, but because they were fake diamonds, it sort of saved his life. Did you notice the sound effect when Went and uh, his buddy took out Bond? It's like a straight-up Kung Fu B-movie hit sound. Like, it's ridiculous. And crazy loud. Yes. Like, it's it like was banging two wooden blocks together. It was like a jump scare. I almost, like, <laughs> pissed my pants when it happened. It's like, I could see it coming on screen, but, the like, both the sound and the volume were so inappropriate for the moment yeah. that it shocked me. I was like, what the fuck? fuck like yeah. his skull would have exploded if they had to hit him that hard if that was the sound that it made there he wouldn't have been getting yeah. out of that um but he lives thankfully or luckily for bond right he did the right thing and switched out those diamonds so now they want some information from him yeah he escapes and after basically laughing them off and walking out bond spots the one guy's picture in an ad for a vegas show apparently his name is shady tree and he's a stand-up comedian Bond goes to check him out on stage at the Willard White Casino, but unfortunately, Mr. Wint and Mr. Kidd do too, so it's a farewell performance for Shady. Bond is left with more questions than answers, so he decides to kill time at a craps table where he meets a lovely young lady named Plenty O'Toole. What do you think of old Plenty O'Toole there, Noel? <laughs> Are you making reference to my ex-Irishness or to the fact that she just loves money? Also named after her father, apparently. That's the joke for that one. <laughs> I just figured she had a huge cl Oh, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I thought maybe she just had one of those massive c***s. 
Yeah, she makes a pretty strong entrance, but in a minute, she makes a stronger exit. As after heading up to James Bond's room for a drink, the Slumber Incorporated guys throw her out the window and into plenty of pool. Yeah, lucky for her, she splooshed down, uh, not in the way we thought was going to happen, but into uh, a big pool that saved yeah. her life. Yeah, There are two great lines here. The first is from Bond, who tells these guys that they've caught him with more than his hands up. Uh, yeah. And the second, after they throw out the window. Exceptionally fine shot. I didn't know it was a pool down there. <laughs> I like that. That's pretty good. Yeah, he didn't care whether she got squashed or not on the bottom. But luckily for her, she walks away with 5K and not an STI. So she, <laughs> not she's this good. time. Yeah, well, yeah. Bond, uh, Bond thinks they've come to collect the real diamonds, and he's not totally wrong. But they quickly clear out so that Tiffany Case can pump him for information, or is it the other way around? Either way, she's got a plan. The two of them are going to take off and keep the diamond money for themselves. He tells her he'll grab the diamonds, she can grab them a car. But she's like, no, no, why don't I grab the diamonds and I'll definitely meet up with you later. Yeah, she's not trying to double-cross him at all here. No, not even a little bit. Felix Leiter, Bond's American contact, thinks there's no way that she's going to show up. But James Bond is very confident because he's got something up his sleeve. Actually, it's more like down his leg. Yeah. yeah. She, you think his dong is going to bring her back to the party here? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think Tiffany has shown an interest in him. She was impressed. I also don't think she's buying the Franks thing. I think she kind of knows what's up, and she's heard of Bond. She wouldn't mind, like, taking a bit of his meat. Uh, <laughs> they go to the circus, and she does, in fact, get the diamonds with some help from the CIA and a very rigged carnival game. She manages to slip away, but Bond quickly tracks her down and explains the reality of her situation to her with an assist from Plenty O'Toole's corpse, which is chained to a rock at the bottom of her pool. Maybe I should have waited and made that uh, Plenty O'Toole joke here. I don't know. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I think you should have held on to it. <laughs> uh, I said she walked away and got, got out with it, but uh, clearly, no, it didn't happen for her. No, no. Now, they don't know much about what's happening, but they know this is somehow connected to Willard White. So Bond decides to break into White's hotel slash secret lab, I guess which he does by sneaking into one of the scientist's vans. But they figure it's him pretty quickly, so he ends up having to escape through a soundstage that sure seems to be filming a fake moon landing. Oh my god, absolutely they are insinuating that the moon landing is faked here. This is an interesting complex. Um, I don't know anything about Willard White, but it seems like he... It's sort of like an Elon Musk type character, right? Howard Hughes, buddy. Oh, is that what he's supposed to be? Oh Howard my Hughes? god, hundred percent. Oh, absolutely. Yes, and that's he sees why, a recluse. He's got the alliterative yeah. name, yeah. And that's why he hides away because Howard Hughes was afraid of like germs and he, he didn't became want to agoraphobic. Yeah. Wouldn't go outside. I yeah, think absolutely. he was like peeing in jars and stuff. And yeah, yeah. So that's sort of okay. Yeah. So that's what they're insinuating here, and they think he has something to do with this whole thing. Maybe it's the diamonds that he uh, he wants for himself, or he needs it for a special laser. Maybe. Mm. I did love how when he runs through the fake moon landing, one of the fake astronauts tries to like catch him, but he's still moving in slow motion. <laughs> like at that point it's over. He's run through in full speed. The thing's done, man. Like, I didn't I didn't see that. I missed that. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. That was a clever shot that I didn't see. I don't know. Yeah. This is where I'm kind of like, this feels really unfun. I wasn't having a ton of fun and maybe it was my mood while going into it or watching it, but I was finding that these moments were really serious and, and not as jovial as some of the other Bond films that I remember watching. I agree, but I mean you did miss that touch of the astronaut. That ended a little bit of like comedy to it, but it's still not that much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's missing levity to me, but you're right. You no, know, yeah. it is. It definitely is. So with Willard White's goons in hot pursuit, there's only one thing for Bond to do. Jump in the fake moon rover and lead them on a fairly slow speed chase. What's hilarious too is that this thing is barely moving and it still manages to cause multiple ATV type vehicles to crash and be wiped out. Now we do get a much higher speed chase after that though as the Vegas PD catch sight of Bond's sports car and send everybody after him, even Larry, who I'm pretty sure ends up catching him. Come in, Larry. Larry? You get him, Larry? I think Larry got him. boy, Larry. Oh my God. Just incompetent police again. Yeah. Except yeah. for Larry. The guy's fucking great at his job, apparently. Nah, because Larry didn't get him. Well, the chief doesn't know that. The chief's going to fucking give him a promotion. Well, absolutely. Congratulations, Larry. You're too. Larry, Larry, way to go, bud. Up in a promotion. <laughs> this whole sequence of stealing the Moonlander being chased by the ATVs, it's brutal. These guards on the three-wheelers cannot drive them. The wheels are comically large, and yes. they, they cannot, for some reason, despite the wheels being huge, go over bumps. It's like they're all drunk. Yeah, they're all, like, crashing and flipping over like they're super drunk. And then when it transitions right into a fucking car chase, I couldn't believe it. And that, again, went too long. They were trying to add some action or adventure, but it just felt so unbelievable and not fun to me again. Yeah. 
So with all of Willard White's power, influence, and reach, they've no doubt got dozens of people looking for them. So where does Bond decide to hide out? In plain sight, a.k.a. Willard White's casino. Not only will it most likely be the last place they look, but it may also get him access to Willard White himself, a reclusive man, like we said, who Felix Leiter says is harder to meet than the president. So it transitions, and Bond is in a bed, but kind of a bed. He's on a giant fish tank-shaped bed. The 70s. You get shots up through the fish tank of him laying pipe into Miss Case. That's not true. <laughs> I is wish that true? It was. Well, they're in bed together. I'm pretty sure that our comedy today has taken on the spirit of Sean Connery's uh, directness in this movie. Yeah, he shot one directly in <laughs> just like that yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's a, great yeah. point yeah, yeah. exhibit a <laughs> yeah there's no innuendos today it's just straight <laughs> comments that's all it is yeah now in order to get into white's penthouse bond's gonna have to get a little creative so he steps outside his own room and uses a q issued grappling gun to work his way up there once he gets into the penthouse he's immediately caught on camera by willard white who talks to him through the intercom system before revealing himself to be Blofeld. He's alive and multiplying. <laughs> so cloning did happen, apparently. There's uh, two of them. Yeah. No, uh, what it turns out is is that uh, he really did get that plastic surgery done. Although we thought one had died, he had actually made three copies of himself, it appears. At least. There could even be more. We don't even know. So we're confused here. They have a, a bit of fun with the voice changeover. He has him sounding not like himself, obviously, but like that reclusive billionaire or millionaire at the time. So that that was kind of fun, having that little voiceover thing. I, you're kind of wondering if that's going to come back. And he's kind of now doing the exposition, the Bond villain thing, where he's sort of laying everything out for him because he thinks Bond's going to die. Oh, absolutely. They reveal more details of their plan to Bond, including the fact that the real Willard White is still alive, and also generally taunt him about not being able to tell who's who. Bond listens to all of this for a couple of minutes before making his move. He kicks one of the cats towards Blofeld and shoots him in the head with a hilariously delayed reaction. Now, it's a 50-50 shot that he killed the actual Blofeld, but I guess Bond left all his luck on the craps table because as he quickly figures out... Right idea, Mr. Bond. But wrong pussy. <laughs> yep. So what I mean, man. Like, it's yeah, aggressive. That's true. I forgot about that line, too. <laughs> he's, he's not being at all subtle in this one, but they're not fun. Right? Like, they're just dirty. And, they are, I know. Yeah. Um, so he's still alive, his arch nemesis here, right? And he's able to escape from this scenario? Well, I mean, for a minute there, it seems like Blofeld's going to let him go. But as soon as Bond steps on the elevator, knockout gas starts filling the car. And when the doors open again, he's on the ground unconscious, where he's promptly scooped up by Mr. Wint and Mr. Kidd. But, and this is a nice touch that'll pay off later... As they throw him into the trunk of their car, Mr. Wint's aftershave bottle falls out of his pocket and breaks underneath Bond. We ha now have the trunk just reeking of that aftershave, and I think this is something that Bond's going to notice when he uh, wakes up. Where is he going to wake up, though, after being knocked unconscious here? Uh, in a fucking drain pipe in the middle of the Nevada desert? Yeah, they, <laughs> they have decided that uh, instead of just murdering him, they're going to do it in the most Bond villain-esque way, which is go put him in a ridiculous scenario. So they put him inside one of those concrete pipes as it's being put in the ground. And he actually does get sealed in the ground in this pipe. So he's dead, right? Not quite. Now, this, is, I will say, is a good way to dispose of the body. Like, you assume that if he does get killed, if everything goes to plan, the body's underground, so no worries there, right? That's kind of clever, except for the part where you don't actually kill him. When he wakes up the next day smelling like a tart's handkerchief, his words... He's got to quickly find a way out before the rats get him, or worse. Now, my question is, what on earth was in that knockout gas? Dude was unconscious for like 17 hours. Yeah, it was some powerful stuff. I'm not sure what it was exactly, but it definitely kept him unconscious. I thought maybe Bond would be more resistant to that, right? Being a special agent, I bet he has taken some stuff to prevent him from going down when he's exposed to poisons or gases or other things, but I guess not with this one. Well, we also know he's great at holding his breath because of, uh, you know... All the cunnilingus he provides? All the <laughs> yeah, all that. yeah see, he goes down a lot, and um, he doesn't come up for much air. That's why well, all the ladies love him. Fuck me, and in Moonraker, Roger Moore's underwater for like 20 minutes. And he manages to escape by disabling some sort of soldering machine. And after dropping yet another lame line, this one about getting lost while he was out walking his rat, he makes his way back to Felix Leiter in the CIA. They decide to call up Blofeld using their own Q-designed voice modulation machine, and Bond is quickly able to find out the real Willard White's location. 
He's being held in his own summer home, which is also in Las Vegas for some reason. Who has a summer home in the same place as the regular home? Someone who is agoraphobic and doesn't want to leave the state. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't like to travel to other places. But you're right. It is weird that his summer home isn't in a cooler place. Uh, Bond heads over to this summer home, and he's greeted there by two very horny women. <laughs> yeah, man. No, he stealths his way to this house. Not really. He just walks up and lets himself in. But once he gets inside, we see why his entry was so easy. Apparently, Willard White is being guarded by the acrobatic and very theatrical duo of Bambi and Thumper, two hot, flexible ladies who quickly knee James Bond in the and balls and try to choke him out with their thighs. Best scene in the movie. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. I'm not going to debate it at all. Uh, these ladies are athletic, they're fit, and they kick the shit out of him. But he loves every minute of it. Oh, yeah. His uh. erection is so evident through his <laughs> pants as he's getting his ass beat. It's incredible. Um, they are, I don't think they're as sexually into it as he is. They're just kind of doing their job here. But no, uh, He's very into it. When they hold him underwater, his dick's taking out like a fucking shark fin. <laughs> <laughs> no, in all seriousness, though, this was like something out of the old Batman TV show. Just super fucking campy, which is the exact tone this movie is setting. Now, I had this thought as I was watching it. This would have seemed much more natural as a Roger Moore movie. Like, he would have been the perfect Bond for this. Do you think it was written with him in mind or? So I actually know the answer to that question. They did want him for the role. Like they had clearly figured out they wanted him to be the next Bond, but he had prior commitments and couldn't take it on. Um, but I think like this would have abs because he's the fucking campy one, right? He's the one that turned the wing to the camera. This yeah. would have been right up his fucking alley. Connery's just out of place here. Yeah. And I felt like, and, and maybe it was purely Connery performance, but I felt like this movie was missing that. You're right. This scene completely fits that. Right. But I felt the way that Connery acted in it took away from it or didn't lend to the campiness of it. So I would have loved to see Roger Moore in here. I think that would have been fun. Yeah. Connery just seemed more grumpy. Like that was yeah, the tone. That's yeah. really how I felt. I felt he was the grumpy old man. He was the geezer, man. He was the diamond he's a, geezer. He's a diamond geezer. There yeah. you go. Now, after freeing the real Willard White, who I should point out is going over the top with a big Texas accent and everything he says, Felix Leiter and the CIA storm Willard White's casino to take down Blofeld. They charge in so enthusiastically, though, they fail to notice a particularly masculine-looking lady walking out of the casino holding a familiar white cat. Yeah. Oh, this, dis this disguise is not great. The pussy should have given him away. The diamonds on it and the cat itself. But yeah, that, that sort of uh, drag outfit he had going on was not enough to get most people out of a club, but it did him. Definitely. Now, fortunately, Tiffany Case notices. She's hoping that Q can convince the British government to grant her immunity in exchange for her help. But unfortunately, she gets shoved into Blofeld's limo, where he greets her with what might be both a cat pun and a pun about him being in drag. Well, well, well. Look what the cat dragged in. <laughs> I don't, is, it, is it one or the other or both? I don't yeah, really know. Um, that's true. I think it's both. Um, so she's in trouble now. She's captured by... Blofeld, he doesn't dispatch her right away. Maybe he has plans for her. Yeah, he's going to see which way she kind of leans in this whole thing. Because let's not forget, she is a criminal. Like, she was helping with the diamond smuggling. So maybe he's going to try and see where her, like, allegiances lie. Maybe he thinks she has information on Bond, too, that can be used, right? Her and Bond had got down on on that, like, sweet bed. The one that was <laughs> actually a fish yeah. tank. Yeah, so maybe he thinks that she's got something on him. Maybe, I don't know. But he's got her. And as we see shortly after Willard White expects his lab with Bond and the CIA guys, Blofeld also has a specially designed satellite that, as you might have guessed, is covered in diamonds and just happened to launch mere minutes before Willard White could call to shut it down. Damn it. Just missed. That satellite is now in space. All of the diamonds are fucking up there, right? And... We know, because we're such great physicists, that the diamonds are going to make just an incredibly <laughs> powerful laser. Well, yeah, that's what it is. The satellite is actually a giant laser. Oh, my God. This is exactly what would have fit into Austin Powers. It is so laughable. So much of this movie would have fit into Austin Powers. The fucking dude doing the countdown at the end, that's just the Austin Powers guy counting that monotone fucking voice. <laughs> so I wonder if this movie was the inspiration for much of Austin Powers. We know Bond obviously is, um, but I wonder if this movie in particular lent itself to that movie series oh definitely because this is so ridiculous and the parts of this are so campy it's so easy to parody like these are almost jokes themselves within the movie but what we know now is that Blofeld is going to use this laser to blow up the nuclear arsenals of any and all countries who won't pay his price they of course show us the laser in action here and these scenes are hilarious first we see a pretty standard looking rocket heating up it turns out kind of like glowing red color before we cut to an exterior shot, an explosion that is way, way too small for what should be a nuclear explosion. But my favorite thing in here, 
is the row of missiles on some kind of military base. They also start heating up, and then a single soldier staggers into frame screaming he's on fire. This made me laugh my ass off. This was the biggest laugh I had all movie, too. I just laughed so hard at how bullshit the effects were here. It's in one guy. One guy gets burnt. <laughs> yeah, the way the nuclear weapon goes off, it, it is just so, so funny and so, so bad. The effects here do not hold up at all absolutely just hilarious to see i don't even think they hold up for the time like these seem super low budget for 1971 yeah i agree i think they could have gone way better here but they blew all the budget on fucking wigs it was it's all wigs and toupees connery needed an assortment of wigs yeah all the toupees that needed to be done were gone so the effects budget was gone the effects people were just so fucking pissed god damn yeah, so they're going to need to figure out where Blofeld is controlling the satellite from. But luckily, and I do mean luckily, Bond figures it out by randomly rattling off locations on a map of Willard White's businesses. When he mentions Baja, California, White immediately perks up. He doesn't have any businesses in Baja, California, which means, if you're keeping score at home, that Blofeld actually added the location of the secret base to the map. This dude deserves to get cut. <laughs> He's a Bond villain. He's already explained the entire plot to Bond. Bond knows what's happening. I'm surprised you didn't tell him that it was on an oil rig in fucking Baja. Hand him the fucking address. Yeah, you like, should, hey, you would have just way. given it to him. Yeah. <laughs> Here's actually a key. Here's the switch to shut down the operation if you'd like to, because that's the kind of shit that happens in these movies. It won't do you any good, Mr. Bond. I might as well give you the keys to the fucking thing. Yeah. Exactly. Honestly. Yeah, as you mentioned, he's controlling the satellite from an oil rig, and that's where we're headed next. Bond and the CIA take a page out of Dennis Rodman's double-team playbook and drop him out of a plane in a giant silver ball. It's true. This was just the basketball thing. He, he like, was way ahead of Dennis Rodman. I can't believe this was future tech in, in double-take. Dude, I spit my fucking drink out. I was like, what the fuck? I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, how'd this happen? Yeah, those parachutes, though. I think the ball was more so that he could float when he hit the water. Yeah. And he used it kind of like a hamster wheel, rolled his way over to where the rig was to climb his way up. He did, but then as soon as the unzipper, he just gives himself up. But I guess that's part of the plan because his idea is he'll get close enough to replace the master tape that controls the satellite with a cassette of marching band music. Blofeld susses this out immediately as he finds the tape on Bond. So none of this should work. Except, like I said a minute ago, Blofeld is a complete fucking bozo who deserves to get cut. Oh my God. This whole tape nonsense was hilarious. I, I understand that that was the technology maybe they were working with, but the fact that a fucking cassette tape was going to stop this satellite from firing, it's hard to stomach that part of the plot. I, I did like that it lent to like prop comedy in a sense of like, is it in there? Is it not in there? Who's hiding it? And of course, Bond's like hiding it on his d He's got, <laughs> yeah, he's got it in his crotch where they pulled it out of. But no, you're right. And they have been kind of teasing this throughout the movie because Blofeld's had this marching band tape on his desk, and so it kind of plays in, but it is thoroughly ridiculous. Bond does manage to switch the tapes, and he also manages to slip the other tape to Tiffany Case after calling her a bitch, which must have been scandalous back then. Oh, you think so? That was like that line was, was a lot in 71? Yes, he also somehow manages to send a signal to the CIA by uh, unleashing a balloon that floats up into the sky. So things are actually kind of working great for Bond, although there is one small hiccup. Tiffany Case thought he hadn't been able to switch the tapes, so she switched them, thus putting the actual death-causing tape back in. Women, am I right? Oh my god, what does he say <laughs> to her when he finds out? Oh, I think he calls her a like a daft twit or something. Yeah, just yeah. some some hard insult. She definitely was trying to do the right thing and fucked up hard. I don't know why she didn't look at the tape before doing the SWAT here, but you know. They were labeled, weren't they? Oh, clearly, yeah. One of them was like laser tape and the other one was fucking marching bands. Yeah. And yeah, she puts the John laser Phillip tape. John Philip Sousa's marching band <laughs> classes. <laughs> Well, the CIA begins their assault now. There's also machine gun fire, explosions, and monotone countdowns, and James Bond manages to escape captivity via some gymnastics moves along a series of ropes. He uh, learned those from Bambi and Thumper, or what? Oh, my God. This scene where he is, like, holding onto a rope while he stands on a rope and going underneath the oil rig is, one, way too long. Everything would have been over by the time he got there. Connery does not have the, like, mobility or strength or fitness to move across this very quickly. It in actual time, it would have taken him about seven hours to traverse this road. <laughs> yeah, but he does it in a lot less than that. And things are not going well for Blofeld. So, Blofeld decides to escape in some kind of single-occupant mini-sub. 
but Bond takes out the crane operator who's lowering it into the water and basically just starts fucking with him, lowering it, raising it up again, just bumping it into shit. We also get some physical comedy here as Tiffany Case tries to shoot a machine gun, but the recoil sends her over the side of the oil rig. Good times. As we recount all of this, I don't know how come I didn't feel it was that campy. Everything you're saying and describing happened, and it's just, like, bonkers and hilarious. I really think it was just Connery. Yeah. I just think the way he reacted to all of this shit and the fact that he seemed to be serious the entire time threw me off from what was just a regular Bond film. It's totally just separation from what's going on around him. You know what I mean? Like he kind of brings this thing down, which is crazy to say because it's Sean Connery as James Bond. Which, but like Roger Moore would just roll with it. He would have cruised along with it. He would have thrown some fucking jokes with a little twinkle in his eye. And Connery's got to be people's like favorite Bond in general. Like if you took a poll, would people assume people would say Connery was the best? He's widely considered the best. Yes, but yeah. he was also first. We've mentioned that before. I feel when we talked about Die Another Day. Like it's he kind of has the advantage of being there first. That's fair. So that's it for Blofeld, crisis averted, and Bond and Tiffany Case decide to head back to England on a luxury cruise liner. As they pull out of port, though, we see the unmistakable faces of Mr. Wint and Mr. Kidd, so we're not done yet. The next night, as Bond and Tiffany are relaxing either before or after banging, or both maybe, Mr. Wint and Mr. Kidd arrive posing as room service, which kicks off what is absolutely the most ridiculous sequence in this movie. They're, they bring them just, like, carts full of what look like delicious foods. There's cakes and all kinds of seafood and everything. Um, and we're like, oh, man, we know they're going to get taken down here. We know those two are still sort of evil henchmen in this movie. How is Bond and how is Tiffany going to get out of this one? Well, this is where all of the stuff from before pays off in a big way. The aftershave thing and Bond's incredible knowledge of alcohol because... Mr. Wint offers him some wine. It's a Mouton Rothschild, I don't know, fucking 61, some year, I don't remember the year. But uh, Bond kind of plays into this by mentioning that he was sad that they would not have a claret. With this kind of food, you would expect a claret on a cruise liner of this caliber. And uh, Mr. Wint says they're all out of clarets. And then Bond tells him that Mouton Rothschild is a claret. Oh, it's paid shit. Off again. And that he smelled that aftershave. And that is where he kind of gets to jump on them. He points out the aftershave thing, points out the wine thing. Mr. Wind and Mr. Kid spring into action. Mr. Kid has two like meat skewers that he somehow lights on fire and starts walking towards them ominously. He's going to kill them with the skewers like in fucking happy birthday to me. Each of them is going to get stabbed with some hot meat. And I know yeah. Tiffany was looking forward to that <laughs> later, but she doesn't want this hot meat. No, not for Mr. Kid. God, no. But Bond like throws some alcohol on him and it lights him on fire. And now Mr. Kid's on fire and he ends up fucking jumping off the side of the boat to try and save himself, but too late. Meanwhile, he gets behind Mr. Wint and like pulls his jacket arms through his legs, which, if I'm being honest, I kind of love the hint of enjoyment from Mr. Wint when that happens. He gets this kind of like, ooh, look at his face. <laughs> he's got a new man uh, who's got pressure from behind, and he's not upset about it. Yeah, but Bond flips him into the water, which you didn't mention when you mentioned cakes, that one of those cakes contained a bomb, like a goddamn fucking Roadrunner cartoon. Oh, God, yeah. Um, this They set this up beforehand. They show you them putting it in there. They they find the bomb, and they throw it overboard here. No, Bond, like, shoves it into Wint's asshole and flips him over. The <laughs> no, not literally. <laughs> Wint's holding the cake. When he flips him, he explodes before he hits the water. Just a really fun way to end this thing, but also incredibly bad from a franchise standpoint. <laughs> There's not leading to anything else. There's no other kind of, like, how are we moving to the next one? As far as we know, uh, all that's going to happen is Case and Bond are going to just cruise around on this ship for the rest of their lives and just fuck a whole bunch over top of fish. You're right. That That's pretty much it. After a quick joke about Mr. Wint leaving with his tails between his legs and Tiffany asking how they can get the diamonds down from outer space, we're into the credits, man, and that's it. Ah, man, I don't know. Like This was just absurd, and Connery is just so out of place, like we already mentioned. Yeah, I really uh, struggled with this one. Um, I said at the start that I wanted to compare the three that we've watched so far, I'm going to straight up tell you that this was the one I enjoyed least. I did not have a lot of fun. Talking about it actually made me laugh more than watching it. And I don't know if that is because of the way that Connery acted throughout it. A lot of the time, like a lot of the scenes you have talked to me about are much funnier in recollection than they were when I watched them the first time. 
that's definitely not a good sign for this movie. Like, if talking about it is more enjoyable than watching it, I feel like something has gone wrong. But what a great way to transition into our ratings. The way we rate the movie, we do it two times on a scale of 1 to 10. 1 to 10 for how bad it is, 1 to 10 for how enjoyable. And the idea is to find movies that are 10 out of 10 on both scales, or what we call the Crit 20. And for me, this is not going to be in play because I don't think this movie is that bad. I think it's close. I have this as a 9 because there is a lot wrong with this. From a Bond franchise standpoint, several things have gone wrong here. Like we already mentioned, Connery is kind of like joyless in this. Uh, feels like he wasn't putting his heart into it because he just doesn't fit tonally, like we've already said. The one-liners in this, which are normally kind of a Bond highlight, pretty awful. Maybe the worst ever for the Bond franchise. And if I'm being honest, same with the action sequences. Like that whole thing on the oil rig, the shootout with the explosions, there's no immediacy. It's just like one group of guys machine gun shooting at a different group of guys. Every so often something blows up. But there's no real kind of investment. Bond never seemed like he was in danger. Neither did Tiffany Case. Blofeld was absolutely going to lose. The elevator fight scene, I guess, was okay. But overall, this was just kind of a limp entry. Very kind of bland. And that coupled with the Wint and Kid characters and their only quirk being that they are gay men who enjoy the finer things in life but don't know about Mouton Rothschild... Not great. I'm giving it a nine. What about you? Yeah, I think that's absolutely an appropriate rating. Um, I think the effects sucked. I think for the time, they were still really bad. That laser effect of blowing up stuff was the funniest thing in the movie, but not intentionally so, yeah, right? Yeah. It was just so, so bad. I thought that the plot really lacked a lot of depth, too. There was nothing that was really tricky about it, despite having, like, a guy who copied himself three times, and, like, there should have been a lot more to this. The fact that they were just hunting down different people that were a part of a, like, diamond organization or a diamond problem was not very great to me. Um, I thought the sound effects were brutal. Absolutely yeah, awful. you mentioned that earlier. Um, and yeah. they, were, they were killing me. And it wasn't just that one that should have exploded his head when it hit him. It was the sound throughout the entire thing. Uh, so all of that put together, I, I think Sean Connery's lackluster performance as well. I also had this as a nine bad. Jesus Christ. Are we going to fucking, we've had the same ratings three weeks in a row, or sorry, two weeks in a row. Are we going to go fucking go for three right here? I don't think so. Okay. Hopefully not. Um, how enjoyable did you find this movie though? Not very much. Okay. It lacked fun to me. Okay. I felt like Connery's lack of wink to the audience, him trying to be so serious, took away a lot of that. The sound effects were grating. The action wasn't that exciting. The best sequence, you called it, was that fight with the two bodyguards by a hot mile. Like, I meant that as a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thought that would make you laugh. Uh, I didn't know like that, that as a I like that That's one. Fine, yeah. Either that one or the... The ship at the end. The, my favorite scene is the ship at the end. I mean, oh, it's not okay. a good scene, yeah. but it's fucking ridiculous. I was laughing yeah, the whole time. That was fun. I, I also thought the elevator scene itself uh, was pretty good. Oh, yeah. That's a legit fight scene, yeah. But... I really didn't enjoy my time. I thought it was slow, and that does not happen in a Bond movie very often. I was not super engaged with it. Um, I think that this was a big miss for them. I knew about it, and I knew the title, and it felt like something I should be familiar with, but I only had this as a four enjoyable. Wow. Okay, so we are going to be different there. Um, that is extremely low. Yeah. You got nothing out of this, eh? I really didn't like it. It was definitely the least fun I've had watching them. Maybe I wasn't in the right mood for it. Um, I wasn't ready for what I was going to get into, but I did not enjoy it very much at all. I really didn't either, like for a Bond movie. And I've said this before with Moonraker and with Die Another Day. The Bond movies are inherently enjoyable to me on some level because of the formula. And as long as you don't deviate too far from the formula, it's a formula that works. It's been enough to sustain a franchise for 25 fucking movies over a period of like, God, almost like 70 years now. Because of that, it's never going to be too, too bad for me. Uh, I did have it as a six, which okay. is pretty low. Not, not quite as low as a four. Yeah. I kind of thought that in general, it was a shameful entry for in the Bond franchise. It just didn't really play well. Connery, again, seemed kind of checked out. The one-liners, like I said, I usually enjoy those. They weren't very enjoyable here. But there was still enough other stuff here that I did enjoy. Like, I laughed several times, which is not the point of the movie. Like, the comedy parts they put in were not the parts I was laughing at. But I still laughed at those scenes. In a weird way, I think my rating is higher because of the last scene that happens in the boat. Because I enjoyed that so very much. It ended on a high note for you. So It, it did. It, it really of, did. Yeah. Like, that scene was my favorite scene in the movie, for real. Not the baby thumper scene. Uh, <laughs> and that, But, like, that was actually kind of enjoyable. And the fact that the wine and aftershave thing paid off. You know me. I love when they lay 
crumbs ahead of time that end up turning into something at the end. So because of that, I think that scene kind of boosted it up for me. But only a six, not great. Not great. How about not this great. beer, though? We got higher praise for this than we did for the uh, the movie. So I was nervous about this when I saw on the can that it was an English IPA. But this was actually really enjoyable for me. Super easy to drink. I destroyed it in no time. It is a smaller can, like a regular size can instead of the tall boy. But I think I could have easily handled a tall boy of this. I, I liked it I more than I thought for sure. Yeah, you crushed this one before I did. Usually IPAs are my thing. Um, but this is not tasting like an IPA. No, not at all. Um, not not a like American version of an IPA, which is what we've been accustomed to, right? Or we talk about more than we do the English version. This reminded me of a bitter, right? Like when we talk about an English bitter oh, kind yes, of style yes, beer. Yeah, okay. It definitely had a maltier, caramely flavor. Uh, it did finish with some hops. Like you could tell there were some in here, but it was not at all anything like an American IPA that we tend to drink on the no, podcast. No, not bad at all. Which I really liked, yeah. <laughs> but I liked it too. Um, I like that style of beer. I, I mean, I think the British have been drinking and creating beer for so long that they're they're always very drinkable, right? They're never something that is going to surprise you. I really like the way that Muddy York handled that. I want to try some more Muddy York stuff. They are really well known for their Hellaslager. I think it's their ga- yeah, Gaslight. Gaslight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that is sort of like their flagship beer, and apparently it's just incredible. Have you had it? I have, yeah. Okay. Pretty tasty. Yeah, so I would I would definitely like to try that and some of the other offerings by them too. So check out Muddy York if you have a chance to get any of their beers. Definitely. And next week, you should come back and check out our Halloween episode. It is our third Halloween. And so we're going to be watching Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Spooky. You know the Halloween movies, eh, with Michael Myers? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for this Michael Myers movie. Oh, no, he's not in it. What? No, no Michael Myers in this one. What? Yeah, no, it's a completely different story. <laughs> What's this one about? Uh, it's kind of hard to explain unless you've seen it, but basically it involves like evil microchips and sorcery and Stonehenge. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm excited so, for this. This is so not, exactly like the first Halloween, you know. This is not what I was expecting when you said we're going to be doing Halloween three. It's not what anybody was expecting when they went and saw that movie. I think. Okay, good. Um, so please come tune in and listen to this with us. It sounds like it's going to be an adventure. Well, I'll say this for it. It's set in the 80s, and we've had some success with 80s horror. Uh, most recently, last week in our Nightmare Beach episode. That was a good time. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I like that one a you lot. You keep asking for more horror, so I'm going to hey, give it to you, buddy. Halloween keep, 3. Keep bringing it. I'm excited for this. Absolutely. So join us next week for that. Before then, if you have not, please follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at the BMB Podcast. Yep, feel free to send us emails to thebmbpodcast at gmail.com. Tell us how we're doing. Get in some more suggestions. We are definitely looking for some more stuff for the second half of this season. Yeah, we're always looking for audience requests, and we hope you'll join us next week for Halloween 3. Until then, I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And we'll see you next time on Bad Movies and Beer. Keep that pretty sparkling. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The man who made 007 a household number.